two white men, transported, largely against their will, into a land of podcast. Welcome to Zero... So you remember how you commented that my your favorite part is me... Badly singing theme songs. Yeah. Mardi Gras, everyone, and welcome back to Zero Credits. I said the S in Mardi Gras. Happy Mardi Gras! My name's Henry. And my name's John. And together we're Henry and John, back again together, messing up the intro. Now, Henry, you're from the land of Mardi Gras. I am from the New Orleans place. Acadia, as they call it. Yeah, Acadiana. Acadiana, as they call it. I have a question for you. All right, How long is Mardi Gras? Like, the festival or the day? The festival. The festival starts sometime a few weeks ago, and it goes up until Fat Tuesday, as they call it, which is the day before Lent. Oh, Mardi Gras. Mardi for fat. Gras for Tuesday. I think... No, actually, you got that backwards. Oh, then why don't they call it Tuesday fat? Because in French, you put the adjective after the noun. Snore. All right, well, that's just that's the explanation. It's just like Spanish and a bunch of other romantic languages. But that's neither here nor there, John. Well, my idea of romance is calling something fat before. <laughs> I don't need to know what you're into in your personal life. I'm just here to bring the good people the, the, the culture that they deserve. And to that end, I say, Levin Banta. <laughs> oh, hold on, wait. I need to... Uh... Let me bust out my Acadiana to English translator. You actually know the words. See, I grew up there. I don't know much French. Oh, well, let me explain to you. Laissez, let. Le bon temps, the good times. Roulez, fat. <laughs> let the good times fat. It's, it's actually fat. let the fat good times. Yeah, the fat good times. And you see, saying, French, it's actually. I get it. Oh boy, do I get it, John, because I'm from there, and you don't need to New Orleans-splain to me. So it starts on Good Friday. No? So it starts on Ash Wednesday. That's tomorrow. Okay. Oh. So it starts... It starts... Lent. Okay, it ends... It has something to do with Lent. It ends the day before Lent. Oh, because it's it's, Bacchanalia leading up to Lent. It it starts, I believe, on King's Day, which is the Epiphany. Okay. Which is like 12 days or so after Christmas. Which is when the king makes his cake. Yeah. (laughs) King cakes are are closely related to that. And the entire, like, Mardi Gras season is sort of that season. The parades really pick up toward the end. Mm -hmm. Because that's, you know, you're partying before you do your, 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 your lentil sacrifice, if you will. And then uh, that's about it. The French just wanted to throw a good, a huge roaring party before they uh, tuck their their sins into bed. <laughs> you got to tuck those sins into bed, or uh, you give them you get indulgences and then tuck those around the sins like a cover. You know, I don't know if the French the French Catholics knew about those indulgences because <laughs> if they did, I, I don't think they would have Mardi Gras. They would be like the whole. 
year as a party, and then you just buy your indulgences and you move on. Hey, I mean, if the whole year ended up being a party, that's one good thing that indulgences did. I, I think historically I would have to say that the, 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 the origins of Mardi Gras, be it Mobile or New Orleans, whatever history you believe in, um, that all happened after the Reformation and the they, they got rid of indulgences after that. Okay. Or, or before Mardi Gras. So Mobile has Mardi Gras? It depends on what type of history you, you know, subscribe to. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Orleans likes to think that they invented pretty much everything. And other places like to try to take that away from New Orleans because they're jealous. Yeah. People try to take a lot from New Orleans because they're jealous. Yeah. So, I mean, I could go into this for at least two examples, John. You can give me one and we'll see from there. Well, let's stay topical. Uh, Mobile claims that they invented Mardi Gras. Just to be clear, Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama claims they invented Mardi Gras. And if you look at Wikipedia, they probably bribed some, you know, editor to make it look like that there's historical relevancy there. But we all know that New Orleans perfected it. I just want to say... I've been to Mardi Gras time celebrations in both cities. Yeah. And if Mobile did it first, they're not doing it right. If the, if they really invented it, maybe they forgot they invented it, or maybe they just they didn't invent it, which is the, the simpler Occam's Razor explanation. Because if they did, I think they would claim it a little more. The last time I went to New Orleans during Mardi Gras for Mardi Gras, three things happened. One, you can get a drink called a shark attack. What is, what's in that? I, I have no idea. Sugar and grain alcohol, like every <laughs> other Mardi Gras drink. Yeah. Uh, but I think you get it from Fedodo, maybe. It's like a big chain bar. It's the one that sells the hand grenades. Okay, yeah. And the fish so bowls. It's super, super famous. Super famous. So they ring this big diving bell and they take a shark full of grenadine and dunk it in your drink so it looks like there's blood coming out of the toy shark's mouth. Oh my god, that sounds gnarly. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically a plastic cup with a bunch of ice, grain, alcohol, and a shark in it. All right. It's delicious. So I drank that, and I saved my shark, as you do, and I saved it my, in my back pocket. And I was walking through the crowd, and at some point I felt like a pinch on my butt. And I felt for my shark. My, sh- my wallet was safe. My shark was not taken. Two more sharks were placed in my pocket. Two more sharks? At some point, people who had spare sharks came up and went, This guy needs these sharks. They saw it and they're like, oh, he must be the shark retrieval boy. <laughs> he's the shark. He's like the guy who goes get and gets the golf balls at Top Golf. Exactly. He's, he's he must be like one of the, he goes out and he makes sure people are recycling their, their sharks. <laughs> Man, you ever see those guys the morning after Mardi Gras, just big bags full of <laughs> blue shark toys, taking them to the New Orleans garbage recycling facility? They got those shark heads. They got the hand grenades <laughs> all broken. Yeah, I, clean up. You know they actually do an okay job after Mardi Gras for the cleanup? Yeah, my uh, my favorite vibe in uh, in New Orleans is the day after Mardi Gras. If you go out and go get breakfast, you see people like hosing off the sidewalks. It's great. Yeah, everyone comes together and for that day, the day after Mardi Gras, no lies, probably the cleanest the city ever is. And then it's just a ramp up to Dirty Town. Pretty much. Now, uh, I gave you one example of something that happened to me at Mardi Gras. So I gave you a sin. So give me more context for this Mobile versus uh, New Orleans beef. You said you had two examples. Well, the other example has nothing to do with Mardi Gras. Oh. The other example has to do with NFL football. Okay. You see, a certain team in Cincinnati called the Bengals 
claim that they created a chant that's that that goes who day oh as that, opposed to the saints who dad yeah and they claim that they can trace it back to like an 1870 something song the something who day is in like this jazz song that was popular in cincinnati and all i have to say is who cares as someone who's been to mardi gras celebrations in both cincinnati and new orleans cincinnati ain't doing it right well the, the thing about the who dat the the just specifically the dat mm-hmm. that is like cajun speak yeah and it's not pre- prevalent in new orleans but in the acadiana in cajun country it's all this, that, these, and those. You know, that's just how the people speak. And that was sort of appropriated into a football chant. I'm not saying it was right or wrong. I'm just saying New Orleans did it first. And we've got historical context because the Acadiana people, tra- they were exiled from Canada, traveled the entire length <laughs> the entire length of the U.S. and settled in Louisiana where other French speaker- speakers were. And the accent kind of sprouted out over that. And this was around the time of the 13 colonies. Uh, Fascinating history in Louisiana. Yeah. So the second uh, story of Bacchanalia from the last time I was at Louisiana, I was in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Uh, Do you know what a poi dancer is? A poi dancer? Is that like somebody who eats a lot of poi and so they're like a poi boy? (laughs) They they might eat a lot of poi, but they're people who dance with fire, specifically torches and flaming hula hoops. Yeah, the... A poi dancer tried to sell me spice. Spice sounds like a drug and not like something you would put on your rice. Yeah, I think it's synthetic weed that has, um, like, killed some people. That's right. That was pretty big a, a while ago. It, it was during spice fever the last time I was in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. I met a poi dancer at a bar. Well, he was in a flambeau. She. she oh, well, what then, is a flambeau? Then, no, she was not a flambeau. She was a flamba. A, the fl- a flambeau, for you people who don't know, are the people who would dance with, they have, ca- like, kerosene uh, gas containers on their back, and they've got these poles that light fire, Oh, and they dance on the night parades, to sh- and there, it was part, like, lighting the way, because back in the day when there were, like, torchlight, not torchlight, but the street lamps were gas. Uh-huh. That they didn't carry enough light to let people know where the party was. So the flambos, they would dance to the party with fire, fire sticks, and people would follow them, and you would always tip them. You would throw money at them. Yeah, that, that was not what she is. That's amazing, though, and I have seen those guys. Okay, so she, what, she yes. was a poi boy? She was a poi dancer. I don't know. Is that Hawaiian? I don't know. It sounds Probably. Hawaiian. Uh, maybe. But, yeah, we were just, like, hanging at a bar while my friends were doing whatever they were. And we just, like, struck up conversation. Because we were the only people in this rooftop, rooftop bar. It was not a popular joint. Well, it was a rooftop bar for one. And, uh... We were just like talking and she was like, hey, do you want to buy some spice? I was like, nah, I'm good. And then I left. I could not. Here's the thing. You cannot imagine the the feeling of being the only two people in a bar saying the bartender and the only other person just offered to sell you spice and you did not take them up on it. Yeah. I, I, the awkwardness is too high. I feel like your conversation is kind of over at that point. Yeah, like, we put, like she put all her cards on the table and... Uh, and I, what what do you call it when you don't, when you don't play in poker? You folded. I folded. 
She went all in and I folded at the spice card. So that means she wins. She did. I'm sure she sold a lot of spice, so good for her. I don't have a third example. I forgot what my third thing was. Alright, so we can just... So yeah, the point of all this is happy Mardi Gras. For those of you who celebrate it, for those of you who got the week off, I hate you because I don't get time off because I live in Texas now. Man, I wish I still got time off for Mardi Gras. Me too. The one good thing... Eh, good... Uh, the one thing about it is the people who run my work brought in a bunch of beads and king cakes. Didn't give us the day off, but free king cake. No one even as much mentioned it at my place of work. It's as though it doesn't exist, and I have to think that's probably what it's like in the rest of the world. Uh, it must be weird. I guess that's the tiniest bit of, like, cultural loss we can feel for moving from one culture to another. Is a holiday is basically erased. Yeah, there's, it's just, they didn't even mention it. I had two meetings today, and I thought, hey, I'm from Louisiana. People know I'm from Louisiana. My boss thinks I'm from Mississippi, but who cares? I, I, I you know, maybe someone will, no, no one cared. No one, oh, it's just a sad time. We have a king cake, though. Nice. We got it from a, no lie, and you'll hate this. But a Cajun butcher. Okay. No, that I would not. I would not respect a king cake not from a Cajun butcher. Like so. So I mean, there, <laughs> of all the places to be like Cajun, all, of all the stores, you might think, okay, there's a restaurant or something, or maybe a seafood shop. Uh, uh-uh. uh, just a butcher. <laughs> just you know, I like to imagine he puts it in like the same white the white paper that he would put meat in. Oh, oh yeah. But this cake was not... It's it's a good cake. It is not a king cake, though. It's way too sweet and just... I don't know. It's just well, not... A, let's know. just explain a king cake to our listeners. They know what it is. King cake is a, like, semi-sweet, cinnamon, twist-style round cake with, like, a... A hard frosting. Like a hard sugar frosting. And then colored powdered sugar... That coats every surface of the top. And an internal baby. Yes, and it ha- it's it, it's pregnant. It's pregnant with that internal baby. And if you find the baby, you have to pay alimony ah. in the form of the next king cake. Classic Louisiana. The baby's supposed to be Jesus. I don't know if you know that. Ooh. You gotta find baby Jesus. And then baby Jesus says, ah... Dost thou wish to buy a king cake? Thou must. Well, it's it's kind of like you now have to buy baby Jesus a king cake because it's 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 got all of the the three colors: gold, oh, frankincense, which purple. Everyone knows is purple, and myrrh, which is green. Is green. Duh. I have no idea. I I I don't know if that's what that stands for because. All I know is a tasty little treat. Man, how great must it have been? We can get off Mardi Gras in two seconds. Can we? How? I just love Mardi Gras and I have no exposure to it this year. How great must it have been to live in a society? Terrible is the answer. But how great must it have been to live in a society where you had an honest belief that you had a period of time, like start, finish, where you could sin all you want and then repent those sins? You want... I. There are documentaries, recent ones, that I, I believe give you a comparison. Um, it's a little cult classic hit movie franchise called The Purge. 
Oh, the purge. Is that what that's about? Yeah, it's basically it's basically the origins of Mardi Gras. Okay. Yeah, I've I've never seen a purge. A purge you called it? Purge. Okay. Are I, they French? Oh, extremely. A friendship spirit and nothing else. Oh. I've never seen a purge movie, but I mean that's kind of what it was like only with less murder. Not zero, but less. I yeah, I mean, there's no such thing as zero murder in New Orleans. Look, I just want to say, any house that plays loud jazz music will not be visited by my axe this night. All right, axe man. All right, so John, I feel like we've forgotten something. Oh? Something that I remember that you might not remember. Oh? We forgot to do something about two weeks ago. Uh, was it watch episodes of Dragon Ball Z? No, I oh. mean we we still that was a promise that we made. We still need to do that, man. What what else have we forgotten? Oh, uh, was it something social media related? <laughs> it's never anything. We barely do social media. It's only when I can muster up the, enough gumption to actually sit down and write anything. Uh, taxes. I'm pretty sure you did your taxes already. Yeah, but the podcast taxes. Oh, podcast taxes? I wasn't aware we needed to pay any. Gotta get all those 1099s. What did we forget to do? We forgot to celebrate a little birthday, John. The birthday of the podcast? The birthday of the podcast. I had no idea. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but we started this podcast sometime in... I think it was January, but then all of our podcast episodes are backlogged to February 5th. Okay, so February 5th, official new birthday. Official new birthday, yeah. Zero credits is two years old. Woo! Wabba! That was a high five when I said wabba! Wabba! And uh, I just, you know, let's take a little walk down memory lane, John. Okay, what are some of our favorite zero credits memories? And you know, you might be thinking, we do this week to week, all of the weeks run together, and like, we live in this kind of binge and forget lifestyle, but... I'm assured that you've got at least one memory you would like to share that really just encapsulates how far we've come. Well, one thing that I specifically remember, let me set the scene. Alright, so it's a, it's a, it's a balmy, it was, well, it was either a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Have we always recorded? We, we used to record on Mondays. Okay, so maybe it was a Monday. And uh, so what we were doing is we, we were sitting down and we were on your... I think we were on your couch. I think it was your old, maybe it was your new apartment. It might have been raining. It was pretty great. <laughs> that really, what, yeah. what a controversial pick, John. Yeah, it was pretty great. No, there's there's a lot of good milestones we had. I mean, there was that time where Maddie, our special guest, just violently broke my chair. <laughs> no, always a that was maybe my favorite. It was a pretty good moment. Yeah, definitely good. Uh, remember that time that we got way too drunk and invented the concept of a supplemental reading when we couldn't shut up about over the garden wall during one of the breaks we used to take. Yeah, remember? I think it was because we used to record another podcast we did. that was very uh, drinking positive. And we were like, let's bring this over to the other podcast. Not a great idea. I still kind of miss it, but I don't buy beer or liquor or wine in enough quantities to do that anymore. Yeah, maybe another Drunk Zero Credits would be fun, but... Maybe, maybe we could plan it. We'll, we'll schedule it off-air. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll be getting that 
to you soon. Another good memory. Uh, remember when we had special guest Logan come over and we played Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, that was fun. We got annihilated by a dragon. Yeah, it was a green dragon. And after trying to tame its baby like three times while I'm melting, literally like my armor and stuff just corroding away, we had to kill it. Yeah. Hey, oh. my character had motivations. My character also had motivations. It liked dragons. I think that was the pinnacle of season one? Yes. Also, the pinnacle of recorded role-playing games. Oh, better than all of the other role-playing podcasts and pod, like D&D segments and even like... So, so you wanna, we're calling Critical Role out? I know what I said, bitch. Alright, you heard us loud and clear, Matthew Mercer. Who? The guy who DMs Critical Role. Oh, Snore. Maybe I'll listen to it. Famous voice actor Matthew Mercer. Who's he voiced? Uh, Crom from Fire Emblem. Okay. Let me let me walk <laughs> this back. Wait, he's been in a lot of video game things. He was some orcs in like Lord of the Rings, uh, the Shadows of Mordor. Yeah. Uh, real quick though, he, he was, did not actually mean to shit on a fellow podcaster. Don't eat your own. Well, he's just I a, was doing it for a joke. It's a visual show. It's on. Oh. It's on Twitch. But I don't know if it counts as a podcast. But I mean, they're kind of like a different. I like to think that audio only podcasts are in a completely different category. From visually paired podcasts. So, best role-playing game ever played in something that is only a podcast. Uh, so you're calling out the, the McElroy brothers then? I've never heard of them. Because we don't talk about podcasts? Uh-huh. Oh, man, that just, that's not going to track. Because there's Griffin, there's Travis. Those are the two names. Cliff... You say words, but all I hear is wah, wah, wah. Well, back to Zero Credits Memories. Let's let's try to think of a few more golden gems in this flashback episode that we're doing. Uh, Well, here's a a nice flashback. I remember there was a time when I was on a cruise. Oh, okay. And I walked around that cruise with my phone recording audio for a less than zero. And it just didn't come did, into fruition. Did not happen whatsoever. Turns out, here's a little secret about cruises. They're loud. To make a cruise fun, you have to drink. Oh, God. And while my girlfriend was napping, I was walking around the cruise trying to record into my phone. There are loud children, wind noise, I'm drunk. It's so, not a. It's not good. Is that something? Do you still have those recordings? No, new uh, phone. New phone. Lo- who dis? The lost episode. Uh, also, I remember another joint memory when I recorded a less than zero from my hotel room at a conference. When did you do that? When I was at that conference, and uh, I drank half a bottle of Jameson. Uh, recorded. Legitimately, a 45-minute-long episode where all I did was talk about poetry. And I tried to mix, like, music into it. Yeah. Chromebook crashed, lost the recording. Another lost episode. John, you've got a lot of lost episodes. I wish I could recover them. Oh, man. That one was bad. I was... That one was not good. Were you sad when it happened? I was sad, then I ordered a pizza. Oh, okay, so you got happy. Yeah. I was pretty drunk, so then I ate pizza and listened to another podcast in the bathtub. (laughs) 
all of these dark secrets coming out yeah. on our birthday with all the things you've lost. That's the best time to come out with secrets. Uh, I remember one of my the, one of the first less than zeros we ever did was when I first moved to Austin a year ago, and I talked about I just was staring at a TV box. And it was this weird, rambly, sad thing that actually made people, my friends, reach out to me and ask, Hey, buddy, are you okay? <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, yeah, it was kind of a bit. I mean, it was kind of like supposed to be like a statement on like just the the fact or, or the act of moving is a very lonely act. Mm-hmm. And then you're left to follow these sort of like shells of your life. And, and you know, the, the point was like, we need to do something with the boxes. It's like, you know, take care of your shells. Yeah, that was a weird time for all involved. Yeah. Uh, glad you got some of that uh, listener feedback, though, even if it was to check on your mental well-being. I mean, that's kind of the best listener feedback you can get. It's the kind that's not really worried about the content you're producing, but they're worried about your mental health and your overall just, like, being a person. Now, uh, a memory that I have... Yeah. If we're sharing. Oh, we're sharing. Uh, so I remember, this is another less than zero... <laughs> So all, basically, all of the our times best we're memories <laughs> are when we're not together. Oh, God. Uh, I think they just stand out. Uh, we recorded a less than zero, uh, me and special guest Natalie, about Star Wars Rogue One, a Rogue One Star Wars story. Yeah, Grand Moth Talkin'. <laughs> Grand Moth Talkin'. Uh, that was very fun. Uh, fun was had by all. Here's the problem. I cut out almost 30 minutes of that podcast. That's a, And you did, I have to say, and this is not just a compliment you, but you did a great job. Because when you told me that, I was like, where did you take it from? Here's the thing. There is, there. it took a little bit of effort. There is a moment in that podcast, I forget at which point, we go on an extended tangent ranking how sexy all of the all of the men and aliens in Rogue One are it would it didn't it was it was gold but it couldn't have stayed oh do you still have that that audio i might <laughs> lost episode <laughs> yes let's publish nothing but lost episodes i should do that i should try to find all this lost bullshit i mean i try to keep i try to keep all of our recordings in some form of fashion i don't know why it, it would be a project that's larger than the amount of energy i put into the podcast where i would go back to past episodes and lift audio to make some type of weird interspliced kind of like thing Man, you know what would be really good? What? If this whole episode was just us, like, saying these memories and then sharing audio from them. But the, it's not going to happen. That's not, yes. Yeah, because, uh, and it's largely because uh, my backup starts at episode 40. Oh, boy. So those first 40 episodes are just kind of gone. We should, uh, let's just get all of the previous guests back, redo all the less than zeros. <laughs> well, I, I say they're gone. I mean, I can download them from our website. Like, I could get the edited audio. Yeah. But I, the raw audio, that that's what's I have no record of anymore. Sad. It, well, I mean, this stuff takes up a lot of data. It really does. So I, was much space. About, I was thinking about buying external hard drive just for this. I, I have one now, but see, I, I didn't when I started because I, I didn't have money when we started. Same. Yeah, money's a real limiting factor on how good your podcast can be. And podcasts themselves are a thankless money suck. Yeah, because we're, I mean, we're not in any mid-roll, but let's not talk business. Let's talk memories. Remember when we used to do commercials? Yeah, and then... We moved away from that because, I mean, it wasn't really adding anything. 
I feel like for a while it was funny, but then we matured. I feel like we grew out of it. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason for commercials. No, I, I think it was supposed to be like we were trying to demonstrate that we could do commercials if anyone ever wanted us to. But that's totally who cares. Yeah, I I don't think anyone will listen to that and went, oh, listen to these fake commercials. Listen to these boys. Yeah. Uh, a, uh... You okay there, Guppy? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Here's just a general Zero Credits memory that I've enjoyed. Let's talk about all of the great shortenings of names of Marvel movies we've come up with. What do you mean? I, these are legitimately the names of the Marvel movies. Uh, best one with a bullet, Cappy a Miracle Civil War. I that if you go back and, to, and listen to that episode, that shortening came about just because I misspoke. <laughs> yeah, Cappy a Miracle. Because Captain America is hard to say. Cappy a Miracle Civil War. Uh, there's that one. What else have we done? Uh, I mean, there's that weird. Cinematic Universe bit we were doing like two weeks ago. Oh, well, that's not Marvel. It's not. That's Dooku. I just wanted to talk about Cappy American Civil War because I don't want to be lost to history. No, that one's great. I mean, is that the only one we ever did? <laughs> that's the only one I can remember. I just, I was hoping there'd be others. I I, I mean, maybe we said Wenty Soldier yeah. in passing, but that's just because that's how I talk sometimes. I think we, maybe Wenty Soldier was maybe how we went on that. And, you know, um, the, the Duffer Brothers. The Duffer Brothers. The Duffy Brothers. All of our shortenings are just me misspeaking <laughs> because, look, here's a personal story about me. Oh, wait, this is a highlight reel on Henry's life. <laughs> uh, no, I just, my, my father had a habit of mispronouncing things as a joke when I was growing up. And it's sort of been ingrained in me now that sometimes I say things incorrectly, like on purpose. And... It's not something that I, I find myself doing it more and more in my real life. It's not something I can control. It's a serious disorder. Uh, I'm taking donations. I have a GoFundMe to get an operation done. <laughs> no, that's a joke. But Yeah, uh, everyone talks different. Happens to the best of us. Yeah. I talk weird. What? Name yeah. one time. Listen to how I say the word green. Green? Green. 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 Yigur. Green. Great. Great. Oh, that was great. That was great. All right, so yeah. Um, so two years, John. We, we've, gone, we've gone the distance. We've made it past the stage where it's kind of like, well, I guess we keep going because we've gone this far already. So maybe we should, like, I, I know I always want to do this, but, like, what, what are our hopes and dreams for this podcast? My hopes today are different from my hopes yesterday, and my hopes tomorrow will be different, but... I have hopes as of right now. I, I know that I talked about this a little bit, but I do want the podcast to be a vector for me to learn new things. But I want the podcast to continue to be a thing in my life, and I want to proliferate it to people I respect, which you, is tough. I know. Who do you respect? Very few people. Michelle Obama. Have you sent her a link? Always. Every day. Every day I send a, an email to Michelle Obama... At whitehouse.net. <laughs> whitehouse.net. Do you have, did you write a script to automate the process or is it personalized every time? I think I would lose something if it was automated. I'm sick of jobs going to machines. And, and let's, let's clear it up. This is not like a weird angling thing to get Obama on, or, like President Obama. 
would would you want Michelle Obama on the podcast? Yes, because Mark Marin got Barack, but yeah. I don't know if anyone's gotten Michelle. Yeah, I have no interest in playing sloppy seconds to Mark Marin's Barack Obama interview. Do you think you think this apartment would be a step up from the garage? I I don't know. I've never been in the garage, Mark. Yeah, shut up. Wait, he's only. Has he ever interviewed two people at the same time? I don't know. Sure. I never listened to his show because I respect him so much. <laughs> yeah, you, you can never you can never do that. Don't kill your heroes. Yeah, don't murder your friends. Yeah. That's that's a good goal to have, to keep learning things through the podcast and to keep proliferating it to people that you respect. Um, my goal, as always, from from the start, is to get insanely famous. Uh-huh. And land some type of entertainment job based on this podcast alone. And no effort on my part. Like, they, they come after me. I think that's a pretty realistic goal. Yeah, right? I think uh, I think that's attainable. I'd list that as a smart goal. It's S for smart. M for manageable. A for attainable. R for retweetable. T for tweetable. Did you just make that up on the fly, or is this, like, from, like, some type of weird program that you're into? Oh, no, smart goals are real. Are they? Yeah. Who's behind them? I don't know, some business guy. I don't trust... Listen, trust me. I don't question the wizards. I just follow their advice. And it's taken me here. All the way to slightly above the bottom. Yes, Notch above the bottom. A notch. A notch above the worst of them. Top of the crab pit. (laughs) We've clawed our way to the top so the chef can pick us up easier. I mean, that's what you want. You want to become famous. You want them to come after you. It's a lot like someone cooking a crab becoming famous. Uh, Have you seen that video of, like, the chef who's cooking a crab? And he's like, step one, and he takes a crab and he just, like, just... Kills it, and then he, like he punctuates it with "This kills the crab," and it's kind of like, no duh, it, ki- it would kill anything. <laughs> this kills the man. Uh, that's a meme from like ten years ago. Uh, the terrible poor crab. I I've never eaten a crab, and I never will because they're too cute. That's not a good reason not to eat an animal. John's about to tell me that exactly now. Oh uh, yeah, that is a perfectly good reason not to eat an animal. No, because then where do you draw the line? Uh, what? Will you only ke- eat ugly animals? No, you you appreciate that animals are cute, which no. all animals are cute. No, so you're saying we should eat? What is an ugly animal? Can't M- think of one. Mole rats. Mole rats are cute in their own way. Goblin sharks. You, you know why you animals know? are cute? You know why animals are cute? It's a defense mechanism. It's a defense mechanism to remind you of your young, which is a reminder that they are something else's young. I Do you do. want to kill the children of anything? Um, we have discovered you're a murderer, though. Children of narcissistic parents. Well, actually, that's not their fault. Children of spoiling parents. Do you want to kill their children? Uh, well, yeah, the, they're spoiled. So you want to kill all spoiled children? I'm sorry. Do, okay, I got on, it. Hold on. Do you eat spoiled lettuce? No. Exactly. Wait. <laughs> I don't think that proves any. Okay. Ah. Uh. So anyway, I don't think wants fam- to kill children. I no, it's not my goal. Okay. <laughs> Become famous, kill children. No, not in that order. A B. No. Okay, so you want to kill children first and then become That's famous. Not, I feel like it would become infamous. 
Ah, same thing. No, it's not. Rather be loved than rather be feared than loved. Kill children. No. Okay. I want no. Stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. My real goal is to yeah, is to become famous. That re- that's really it. Oh, cool. Great. Uh, like I said, attainable, smart, uh, <laughs> actionable, actionable, retweetable, retweetable, tweetable, tweetable. Whatever. You'd think those would be different in. Like other... Well, you can't retweet what hasn't been tweeted. Yeah. Uh, you want to learn something new? Sure. All right, let's learn That's something That's what this new. whole ding-dang podcast is about, Henry. This is the segment where I ha- come across an article and now I talk about it on the podcast. All right. So, John, you're on a personal quest of sort of being mindful about things, you know, bringing mindfulness into your life and really paying attention to just all the small things so you don't take anything for granted. Is that right? Yeah, I've done presence meditation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've talked previously about being more mindful in your life, and I just want to let you know that you're wasting your time, and there's now a quick and easy way to do that as a study shows. Okay, cool. And specifically, I'm referencing this, this headline that I'm staring at that says, Watching David Attenborough's Documentaries... Just as good for you as mindfulness, study finds. So wait, are they good at making you mindful of the documentary you're watching? Um, I think they just make you more mindful about everything. You don't need to do the meditation, you just need to watch his documentaries. Okay. What he what he make? Did he, he narrated Planet Earth. And Planet Earth 2. Okay. Uh, so the, the article says, While mindfulness and meditation may have swept the nation... Both practices actually have few benefits over watching a David Attenborough documentary, a new study claims. Okay. We're going to find out that this study was done by Big Attenborough. <laughs> Which is just David Attenborough's nickname. <laughs> yep. Um, so it, it goes on to say that Miguel Farias, I'm, not, I'm butchering that name, a psychologist at... Co- oh, wait, can I try that name? Yeah. Fa- Farias. Yeah, let me try. Uh, Miguel Farias... That's how, he, that's how I said it Anyway, uh, Miguel, a psychologist at Coventry University, along with scientists from New Zealand and the Netherlands, wanted to test whether the methods actually led to self-improvement. The methods of what? I of hate mindfulness, art- I guess? I, I, I guess. I hate articles. Following 22 trials, they found no convincing evidence that either mindfulness and meditation promoted open-mindedness or empathy more than jogging, watching... And watching TV. Okay. Reported the times. The so, times. So you're, the point is. Okay. This super reliable source. Yes. Says that you're wasting your time with all that mindfulness and meditation. You should just jog, watch TV, and watch David Attenborough. Counterpoint. Okay. Now it says it does not improve any of. It does not improve your well-being any more than these other things. Is that correct? That's what it says. So what if? Hear me out. Opposite, not opposite, additional supposition, those were the only control points, right? I guess. They basically competed walking, watching David Attenborough documentaries or whatever else to mindfulness. What if... How do you measure mindfulness? What if... How do you measure well-being? Yeah, I don't know. What if... Here's my supposition. It is impossible to improve your well-being. Are you supposing that is it... That's not... No. So if all of these things improved your well-being the same amount, that's not to say 
Now that all of these things were equivalent, the study finds, what if everything is just as equivalently good at improving your well-being? In that it can't. I, but medicine can literally improve well-being. I haven't read a study on it. Why don't you tell me whether meditation or medicine works better? I, well, I just mean, like, physical well-being, like being sick. Like, if you have a treatable sickness and then the medicine comes cure it, that's physically improving your well-being. Your physical well-being. But what kind of well-being were they measuring? Oh, I don't know. Spiritual well-being? It says open-mindedness. Okay, well, what medicine's going to make you more open-minded? Nothing. LSD? Oh, you're right. Okay, so... Let me revise. Scientific method. It is impossible to improve your well-being without the use of drugs. <laughs> I, I mean, I actually have heard, so studies have been done on, on post-traumatic stress disorder patients where it's actually shrooms. Mm -hmm. um, they somehow shrooms give you a, a perspective on, on life or on your own life that is almost impossible to gain otherwise. And once PTSD patients take shrooms, like even just once, they sleep better. Uh, from, from what I've read, and granted it's limited and I don't have like PubMed articles or whatever. Yeah, I've got no actual sources to back that up. That's literally, I overheard that. But from what I've heard, from what I've read, uh, yeah, uh, mushrooms... Do help with PTSD sometimes, and sometimes uh, mushrooms can help people with severe clinical depression and uh, seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. Basically, it's impossible to improve your well-being. Do mushrooms. So I think we the hierarchy of improving your well-being goes mushrooms, uh -huh. David Attenborough. Tied with walking. Tied with walking. And then all of the things that John tries to do on a daily basis, and he's wasting his time. Look, I just I gotta climb that ladder. Tomorrow I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna walk, and I'm gonna watch Planet Earth. Day after that, mushrooms. I think for the best results, watch David Attenborough while walking while on shrooms. Okay, yeah, I think I can do that. Yeah, that's not that's probably a great idea. They have a park near here, right? There's tons of parks. How deep is the water? I. Not deep enough to drown in? Okay, good. Okay. Fantastic. Ooh. I've got a plan. I, I really just wanted... It was just a funny headline, and I and I thought, you know, because you're, you're into mindfulness, that I was like, let's just rip John apart because he's wasting his time. I think it's any time, any time I see a study where it's like, here's a study where we measured, like, open-mindedness or, like, mental well-being or happiness... Literally immeasurable. They're yeah. completely immeasurable. What metrics are you using? How do you know how happy someone is? You uh, can't. You use the 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 Gadsden happy scale. Is that real? No, I made oh. it up for a bit. I almost believe that it was. Yeah, I've got that effect on people. There's some country where they're like, "Hey, our primary export is happiness." I'm like, "Oh, so nothing." Sweden. I think their primary export is strong men. Or is that Finland? Well, Finland, it's unhappiness, because they only have the sun for, like, 60 days out of the year. Satana. Satana? Never mind. Go ahead. Is... No, I think Sweden was the happy one. Sweden seems pretty happy. Who's I've never ha been. What's the happiest country on Earth? Hold on. I would type, but you told me it... Well, if it's on the table, it's bad, but it... type now for the noise of typing.
Hold on, let me vet this. New Zealand. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, Sweden's number 10. Oh. Denmark. Denmark. Bullshit. Something's foul in Denmark. No one's ever written anything about how how happy the Dutch? Danes. Danes are. Hey, the only famous Dane is famously melancholy. Yeah. I, I was about to say, the only thing I've ever re- read about Denmark is <laughs> Hamlet. And let me tell you, ain't no happy people in that one. Something's rotten. There's melancholy. Someone gets stabbed in a curtain. Poisoned in an ear. Is it ear poison? What? No, that's a... Is that a Simpsons joke? I don't know. I've never read Hamlet. Um, one, one gal throws herself from a tree and lands in a river and I think drowns because she doesn't want to save herself. Um, and also... Uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Uh, can I just say, everything that you just said, starting with one gal and ending with are dead, is an amazing, like, is an amazing line of dialogue in, like, a film noir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one gal threw herself from a tree into a pond and drowned because I guess she wanted to. Also, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Amazing. Oscar worthy. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I... best adapted screenplay worthy at the BAFTAs. <laughs> oh, the British arts and feelings. Yeah, the British actionable feelings tweetable Action- awards. awards. Uh, where do you get these acronyms? I majored in them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was a... Uh... So wait, when you major in acronyms, how... How many letters are added to the end of your name? Oh, they just spell out Master of Acronyms. (laughs) Which stands for Masters of Actionable, Succulent, Tweetable. (laughs) All of your letters are the same, John. Oh, (laughs) and for some reason in my head I heard Macronyms (laughs) of Acronyms. Instead of Masters of Acronyms. Uh, I actually have a new show that I'm pitching to the CW. Macronyms of Astronyms. I mean, shit. <laughs> Alright. Masternyms of Astronyms. I'm really sad that after all this stuff happened, we're probably not going to get season three of Masternyms of Acronym. <laughs> Especially because you can't pronounce it. You can't. Uh, every, time, every time we pronounce it differently, the premise of the show changes. I mean, it's it's mutable. Oh, you mute it. Yeah, you mute it. All right, John. That wraps up our mindfulness portion. And I, I, I think in celebration of our two-year anniversary birthday, let's touch on some things that we've always sort of talked about and touched on throughout the history of the podcast, starting with your favorite topic and partially mine, Millennials. Fidget spinner. Fidget spinner. things space heaters well one of the millennial things that we're going to talk about courtesy to this article from salon.com whose website is atrocious and full of ads and they make you disable ad blocker which i i understand but then like i can't really scroll well because you're loading all of these goddamn ads 
a trend in millennials is making jokes about death. I think we may have talked about this on the podcast. I think we have, and I think it's cool when things that we talk about in the podcast pop up in other places, because I feel like we've influenced people to do things, and I know that's not the truth. It isn't, uh, but it, it is absolutely something we've talked about, kind of the cheerful nihilism of a certain school of humor that seems to be pretty popular right now. Yeah, I mean, there's this weird, dark trend, and for some reason, what kicked off Deidre Olson, who wrote this article, was the... Deidre. Wait, where? De- oh, Deidre. Yeah, okay, I don't... That's not how it's spelled. Deidre. 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 Are you telling me Deidre is not a name? I don't think so. All right, Deidre Olson, the fourth Olson twin. I don't know why I'm making fun of this person. What got her on the path of exploring millennials' macabre sense of humor is the Tide Pod scandal thing. Which, understandable, I guess, that it would uh, it would be kicked off by a, a trend where it started as a joke and then someone actually did it and ended up seriously hurt. Yeah, I mean, the problem with, like, joking and comedy and, like, Poe's Law, which is... The law where if you are, like, being ironic, the, the the more you do it, the more you live in that irony, the closer you are, the closer you become to being taken seriously. Yeah. Is that some people don't get context or things are presented out of context. Like, a, a retweet is sometimes all it takes to present something out of context. Something Somebody takes a, a joke seriously and now we've got people... Eating Tide Pods, or allegedly, I, I don't know much about that story because I largely ignore it. Which, I mean, it, it's all part of like a a larger, which is how you pronounce it in the French. Oeuvre? What's an oeuvre? Like a body of work. Okay. It's like a larger oeuvre of, uh, like I said, cheerful, nihilist kind of uh, death-facing comedy. And... Maybe we don't have time or space to talk about the idea that comedy is a form of self-delusion. Uh, self-delusion is natural and ha- naturally natural and necessary. And as people become deluded with comedy, society changes. I don't think we have time to talk about that. Well, actually, uh, uh, this article dives into everything you just said. God damn it, Salon! You did it again. Um. And I want to read a quote, a few quotes from it, and we can kind of like take them as as we go. But to, just to start off, millennials who were born and raised on the internet and produce and consume much of their culture there have had our, our, our whole lives. Okay, so she's part of us, characterized by economic anxiety. We have a dismal economic outlook, the worst of any generation born since the Great Depression, and our own culture making. This kind of nihilistic, cynical humor epitomized in memes like eating Tide Pods is merely a reflection of our worldview. It is cathartic in a sense, and it's not the first time in history a generation has behaved that this way in response to the world they were brought up in. She goes on to compare uh, the previous generation's joke of drinking bleach. Okay. Uh, now, are there any comparisons to Dadaism in there? Oh my god, it's like you're a psychic. <laughs> uh, it's it's just, it's not an uncommon take, uh, the millennial nihilism with Dadaism. 
I, I'm trying to get to it, but again, I again these ads scrolling on this site is insufferable because it keeps trying to load ads. Now I'm in the comments. <laughs> these ads sure do make me want to jump off a bridge. And, and like I would put on ad blocker, but they literally would not let me. All right, all right. So she continues. What makes millennial humor so nihilistic and absurdist? I think the best way to understand memes like these is to an 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 analog analogize analogize. Man, <laughs> I've never seen that word. Analogize. Analogize them to a century-old movement, Dadaism. The Dada movement evolved in reaction to World War I and disillusionment over war, violence, capitalism, and nationalism. The original Dadaists were European radical leftists who traded the reason, rationale, and aestheticism of the warmongering status quo for, abs- for absurdity, irrationality, and anti-capitalism. They rejected conventional notions of art and turned creating anti-art with no clear purpose that mirrored the senselessness of war. Uh, That's something that I totally agree with, uh, pretty succinctly put. Uh, One thing that I I like to, uh, in my limited writings about this stupid bullshit, uh, like to say is Dada and uh, current millennial humor have a lot of carryover, like you said, because of World War I. And World War One was one of the greatest worldwide tragedies ever. World War One was awful, horrible, uh, poorly motivated in most cases, uh, violent, unfair, terrible. World War One was bad. And, and you look at a lot of the art that came after it. A lot of like the works, like just the works of Samuel Beckett, like Waiting for Godot, the works of like artists and such and such and such. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone was dismal. Like, everyone had a bleak worldview at the time, and the Dadaists were just like, we're just going to be irrelevant for the sake of showing you how irrelevant war was. And uh, something that I've seen written about is the idea that, like, Dadaism was a response to World War I, and some people say, well, the, like... The war in Iraq and Afghanistan is not at all similar to World War One. There's not at all like the a similar level. There's a huge disparity between the actual turmoil that people see and what people experience during World War One. Number one, I don't think that's true. I, I think that uh millennials are uniquely capable of experiencing atrocities in a way that no other generation has been. Because tell me any other generation other than millennials who were watching videos of people getting their heads cut off when they were 11. Yeah, I don't think any... I mean, other than generations where they they went to those executions live, I don't think anyone could... they They still couldn't experience it from the comfort of their own home. I think that millennials have had an access to... A front seat to the greatest availability of darkness... That maybe humankind has ever had. Yeah, it's kind of like the double-edged swords of the internet, where we have access to all this information, but there's no filter. Yeah. You know? There are... You can totally go your entire life on the internet without seeing any sort of darkness, but it's easier to seek out than you would think. You can just find... There's a, there's a subreddit on Reddit that I know of that it's called... It's called Watch People Die. Yep. And it's literally just videos of people dying, and I've never been there, but I know of it. And if I ever wanted to, I wouldn't. I know how to get to it. It's uh, it's the level of atrocity that millennials have experienced and could easily experience has, I I think, 
Now, I, I don't mean to sound like cool or whatever, uh, but I've been sharing weird memes about death for a long time, and I've been exposed to subcultures that kind of thrive in that. Uh, not like other people dying, but like suicide jokes and weird nihilistic takes on on com- on comedy and humor. And I think that there's always been an undercurrent of that in this generation. It's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Number one, because we have more generational cohorts who understand that uh, because they're coming of age. But also because over time we're starting to accept that that's kind of where our humor fell. Yeah, I mean, just based on the things we went through and, and Deidre. Deidre. Deidre goes through a lot of, like, the things we faced, which I'm not going to get into because I hate reading about the things we face, you know? Like, oh yeah, economic downturn and student loan debt and all that. Yes, it's all important, but that's not the part I want to focus on. Yeah. But I, I think it's also because we're getting to this weird cultural pivot point where we're going to see the birth of a new counterculture pretty soon. We're getting to the point where there's an establishment to rebel against again. I, I foresee like a, a, a resurgence of punk. And we, we already see comedians kind of taking shots at... Everyone is taking shots at, of course, Trump. But mm-hmm. I mean, he's the easiest target. But I, I feel like they're going to start aiming lower. Yeah, I feel like the, like the vein that we've hit in current... I mean, this is very like... America-centric, because of course it is because I live here. But I feel like the vein that we've hit kind of as a people when it comes to to our humor and how we consume media is so much more uh, rebellious and intoxicatingly dangerous than anything that's come before it in the last few generations. So, last few generations, last few decades. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say, like, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Talks about generation... Even this talk about millennials is sort of wholesale pointless because it's impossible to classify a generation. Yeah, and I think that I think that we've got something going on right now that's very powerful, uh, very scary. I think that the I think that the nihilistic like death worship has fallen out of that. It is really a shame that some people have gotten hurt because of it. Uh, I can't I can't speak to the motivations of the people who got hurt. Uh, you know, there's, there's a fair number of people out there being like, oh, this person was stupid and whatever. But like, I mean, I, I can't judge someone for being a product of, of their culture and like taking something too far, but it's, uh, it, it's definitely something to think about. And if you're not a millennial, it's something to be terrified of. And I think with good reason, because the, the resurgence, that means the surgeons, I guess, the the uprising of these these this like nihilistic feeling, I think is marking the beginning of the transition of old culture to new culture. You know, because pretty soon a lot of the the vanguards and the the pioneers of the old culture they're gonna start dying off. That this yeah. is it's the reality of it, and it, cultures change. And I think this weird death seeking culture, not death seeking, but sort of like death celebrating culture. Uh, is 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 gonna be popular for a little while, and probably I don't know the staying power of this sort of like nihilistic movement, mm-hmm. because I don't think nihilism really has a staying power. I think it peters out after a while. I think nihilism is uh, as a philosophy is something that is not easily uh, maintained over a long period of time by a group, 
But that's also because I don't think that nihilism is actually a self-sustaining philosophy. I think yeah. that nihilism is part of a series of philosophies, but I don't think that just the belief in nothing and the inevitable march towards oblivion is actually something anyone can sustain for a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, even Nietzsche's later works talked about finding the fact that nothing means anything means that we must make our own meaning. Yeah. It's not that the celebration or, or the, the revelation that nothing means anything, it's because nothing means anything, we need to make kind of like the best of our time here to make our time here mean something. Yeah, I think that I think that nihilism uh, eventually turns into this kind of, oh boy, I just formulated the sentence and I hate what I'm going to say. We'll say it and then um, we'll put it on a t-shirt. It's kind of this commusion, enthusiastic absurdism. Okay. So it's it's this idea. Camus my favorite. I love me some Camus. Uh, so it's this idea that, and you know, if, if you get into like Anami or whatever. Anyway, uh, big idea. So nihilism is a concept and a philosophy that more often than not leads someone not into despair, but into hope. Because when you realize that life is absurd and crazy and makes little sense, then you so much more treasure the things that you have in your life rather than be like, ah, oh, nothing matters, we should all die. Man, I wish I could get to that point. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know, I, I vacillate in and out of that point. But yeah. I, I think that, you know, if, if you look at uh, Camus' The Myth of Sisyphus, I think it opens with the line, uh, the fundamental question of philosophy is uh, suicide. Yeah. The idea that if any, if anything doesn't mean anything, why not kill yourself? And the myth of Sisyphus is great because it effectively argues that there's no reason to kill yourself. That it's uh, that life, even if it's absurd and meaningless, is something that is worth being treasured for what it is. Because it's, in, in a nihilist viewpoint, it is what it is. Yeah. And you might as well make it good. There's a short story by John Barth called uh, The Floating Opera, which opens with the premise of a man at the end of his life, or heavily into his, his middle age, uh, waking up with the, the revelation, whoa, the, revelisa- the revelation that he's going to kill himself that day. Mm-hmm. And he goes through his day completely normally until he, he gets the idea that he'll find where he'll kill himself among like his normal proceedings and you learn about it all of his life and like it's through the learning of his life i guess that he, he sort of picks up the realization that all of the things like all of the reasons he wanted to kill himself he doesn't really believe in mm-hmm. so he leaves it up to fate he goes to the back of this uh of this floating opera which is on a steamboat and he opens all the gas valves mm-hmm. and he thinks the candles were lit on the dinner tables, so once that once the gas hits the ca- the dinner table candles, the entire ship will blow up. Yeah, thus ending his life and everyone on board, including some of his close personal friends. And he sits through the entire opera, and it doesn't explode. Mm-hmm. And he takes that as a sign of, well, I guess I shouldn't kill myself. <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't go that far. Uh, yeah, I, but yeah, I, I but. I, yeah. But, like, going through the entire day with the notion that today is the day I kill myself, he starts noticing all of these things. And mm-hmm. so it, it's kind of like, yes, I'll leave it up to fate, but also kind of like he didn't really want to kill himself by the end of the day. 
Yeah, and it, and it seems like, I haven't read it, but it seems to shine a light on how absurd the idea of suicide can be. So I, I think it's definitely within that school. Yeah. And I, I guess just to put a little end cap on this discussion, because we are rapidly heading to the, the dark abyss of the end of this episode. Tide Pod. It's a Tide Pod. It's a Tide Pod. No, I was going to read the last paragraph of Deidre's... Deidre. Deidre's article. Um, Why is our generation laughing over dancing hot dogs and sheriffs made of emojis? Uh, podcaster note. She points out these two memes as like the biggest memes to come... I don't know. it. She, she loses her way in this article. In part, it is, like most social media, escapism. A way to collectively disengage from the unending horror of politics by laughing at meaningless internet jokes that mirror the nonsensical global state of affairs. Like earlier forms of Dadaism, internet memes deconstruct and scramble all coherent thought into incoherent brain goop, left, left open for you to, you to take what you want from them as you will. For some, that means eating a Tide Pod. That last sentence is stupid, but... <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. But I, I, I think all this time I've been enjoying memes. I haven't been thinking about what they are. And they are just deconstructions of thought. Yeah, I mean, uh, memes are art, which is like meaningful artistic expression uh, d to communicate something, even if something is just a cheap joke. But uh, memes are like the most socialized version of art we have. And they're an expression of how we feel. They're designed just to be consumed. Like, maybe there's room for appreciation, but really it's just the mass consumption of an idea that happens in a moment. Like, the original origin of meme was from a French philosopher who used it to describe the phenomenon of the, the same idea happening in two different locations around the world at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we've taken that to be like, we're going to capture a cultural moment in a freeze frame of text over a picture. Mm -hmm. And so each, like, I don't know, it, what we might dismiss as, like, a, a funny moment where, like, the selfie kid at the Super Bowl halftime show of Justin Timberlake, people slap text over, like, or, or put pictures of who was Justin Timberlake on his phone and stuff. Or, oh, I just met Conor McGregor. Yeah, like, so jokes just... Or I just met a mid-game Far Cry 4 boss. <laughs> that too. But, it, but it's like taking taking that moment that a lot of people experienced and deconstructing it into what our cultural moment or cultural, like what's happening right now, what we think is important, or what playing off the major themes of today and deconstructing it and making it consumable and funny. Yeah. And... uh I, I've been a proponent of this for a long time. I always do it. I rarely do it. But if you look at a meme and it makes you laugh or makes you grossed out or makes you think, think about it for a second. Don't just let it, like, wash over you as, like, a, like a flash in a pan. Think about where it's coming from. And sure, it, it might be largely meaningless to you, but since they are snapshots of human thought made to be consumable and mass-produced, they're art. And you always need to think about art. So, yeah, I think if there's one takeaway from this episode where we talked about Mardi Gras and our, our, ourselves. ourselves, our second birthday and the memories we've had, I think the one lesson there is to have from this episode is to consider your memes. 
That's it. Just consider your memes. Yeah, consider your memes. There's no big tie-in. No. I, the theme of today is considering your memes. We haven't done themes in a while. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Man. I, I mean, and that was kind of a weird concept anyway. Glad we jettisoned that. Yeah. Man, you know what my favorite Zero Credits memory is? When we gave up themes. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it from a challenging sort of improv standpoint, but... Maybe there's not enough room for it anymore because we already jam-packed so much things in these episodes anyway. Speaking of jam-packing things in these episodes, I'm going to jam-pack some social media. All right, as long as you consider your social media while you say it. Okay, I'm going to consider that you should send a tweet to ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com, the hotbed of memes. And ZCPCWHJ stands for, of course, Henry... That stands for, of course, Zoom, Christ. People come with hither jump ropes. That's right, Zoom Christ. And if you want to send us an email about Zoom Christ or you want to send us a meme, because damn it, we love memes, send it to zerocreditsisapodcast at gmail.com. That Gmail inbox will never get full. And you can watch us stream video games on twitch.tv slash zerocredits. Maybe one day we'll get drunk. And subscribe, tell your friends, rate us on iTunes, we're on Facebook, Zero Credits Facebook in the, in the Facebook search bar. You can find us. Who, the, who, looks at, who looks at podcasts on Facebook? Forget about it. The most important thing, tell your friends. Word of the mouth is the best way to let people know about our show. Word of the mouth sounds like a mistranslation if I've ever heard one. Word of the mouth. Uh, we appreciate your word of the mouth, and from everyone here at the Zero Credits Podcast Zero Studio, we want to wish you a happy week. Happy Mardi Gras! Happy Mardi Gras! <laughs> Classic Mardi Gras song. I can't fucking stand Zydeco. Good, great.